this mic on there? I think I hear it. Check, one, two, check, check. All right, so uh, today we're going to be beginning a two-part series. Um, I say series, I've kind of linked them together because they go together in my mind, but you may not think that way. Um, But I'm going to explain myself a little bit. Uh, What my two-part series is on is Christian boundaries. Now, one of the things that I'm going to teach you here this morning, you may all be very familiar with, but that's okay because it's good to just remember uh, what Jesus is about. Um, This sermon is called Understanding the Root of the Gospel, and it gets to the grounding of your faith and how Jesus changes your life. And so we're going to be looking at that and understanding how you work, your personality, will better help you understand how you can operate in the kingdom of God and how God will use those personality traits that you have to benefit his kingdom and his glory. And so we're going to be looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan here this morning. And I'm just going to go ahead and read through this. Uh, How many of you are familiar with this story? Almost all of you. Uh, If you have not heard this, it is it's just class, a classic example of how Jesus just can teach um, even the most unteachable of us. And so, uh, if you would, please stand out of the respect of the Word of God as we read um, the parable of the Good Samaritan uh, that is found in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. It said, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What is your understanding of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered him and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked, and he passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan... As he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Everybody say compassion. So he went with him, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer said to him, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may have a seat. It's going to be a minute before I get back to that verse, but I wanted you to hear it and get reacquainted with this because it is crucial for understanding who you are without Jesus and who you are with Jesus. 
It's crucial. And this story gives the complete answer for that. If you've been around me any time at all, you'll have heard me talk about these same concepts. But every world religion, every personality, every person can kind of be broken down into three categories. You kind of have a main three categories that you look at. The way you view the world. The first one is right thinking. And whenever I say right thinking, that means the number one thing that you think about is, do I have an answer for that? Can I study that and research it? Your faith rests in what you know and understand. You can think about atheism like this. Yes, atheism is a religion. Atheism, you have to be able to answer every question about everything in order for your worldview to be sustained. And some of us, uh, this is where I am at. This is my primary. I think about things a lot. If you've ever been around me, you know I study things very intently. Uh, If I had a go-to place where I would want to be, it would be somewhere with a Bible and my secondary Bible that has the Greek and the Hebrew and with my Strong's Concordance and with another Bible that might be a slightly different translation and my computer to where I can research things and that's where I'm set up and, and I'm just in my zone in that element. That's what I like to do. I like to think deeply about things. If somebody gives me a question, I love being able to answer questions for people. If that is who you are, and somebody asks you a question about your faith and you can't answer it, sometimes your faith seems to crumble a little bit because you think, oh no, there's some inconsistencies. There's some things that that I don't understand, so it must be wrong. The next one, right feeling. Your emotions tend to govern how you think. And I'm not saying that is a bad thing. Sometimes it can be, just like thinking. It's not bad to think about things very deeply. But if that's all you have, that is a, that is a bad place to be in because you're not a complete person. You're, you're always just thinking about things. If you're always just feeling things, that is the same thing. Your emotions govern how you think. If you don't have some big emotional experience at church, you might discount it. If you don't have some sort of big thing going on, big show, big big worship experience, you might think, well, God wasn't here. The Holy Spirit wasn't here. Um, You know, I probably need to go somewhere else where the Spirit is active and present. Uh, That may be where you're at, where where your your feelings and your emotions kind of govern everything. And then the third one is right doing. Right doing. It's the works that you do. And there are some, it, it is, once you understand these three, you can kind of start seeing where, like, maybe your spouse or your friends or somebody you're close to, you can see where they may fit into one or two of those categories, and then they're usually weak in a third. And that's usually how it works. And so, uh, as I'm kind of talking about this, I want you to answer number two. This is kind of a question. Where do you stand in your bulletin and your fill-in-the-blank? Where do you stand in these three categories? What would be your number one? Are you a thinker? Are you a feeler? Are you a works-based person where you just like to go, go, go and and do some works? So I'm going to explain a few things, and I want you to rank yourself in that. And then if you're feeling um, exceptionally courageous, you might do that to your spouse. Just rank your spouse, how how they may fit, you know. But listen to this. If you have 
thinking and feeling without doing anything about it. So if you only have two of the three, you have right thinking and right feeling. Your mind's in the right place, your heart is in the right place, but you don't ever do anything about it. What is that called? A hypocrite. Faith without works is a dead faith, is what the Apostle Paul said. Faith without works is a dead faith. Because you can have uh, an opinion about something, you can have it well worked out, you can, you can try to tell people how to do things and where to go, and you might be right about it, but if you never step in and do it, or you never practice it yourself, that would be the classic example of a hypocrite. So let's, let's try mixing and matching some of these other ones, too. What if you have right feeling and right doing, but you subtract the thinking part of it? You're, you're not thinking about things. You're just doing things, and you're feeling things, but you're never thinking about things. You get the U.S. government. That's right. I'm just, I'm just kidding, kind of. Uh, but you get some people who are irresponsible and potentially destructive, Because you may have the right intention, your heart may be what you think is in the right place, and you may be doing something that you think is right, but if you don't have a proper understanding of the Word of God and how to apply it, then what you could be doing is actually sowing seeds of destruction, because we need to be rooted and grounded in the truth. The truth shall set us free. And so you can't just have the the feeling and the doing without thinking about it, or else it could have disastrous consequences. And then if you have the thinking part and the doing part, but you don't have the emotional side, you don't have the heart behind it, well, this is the people that Jesus attacked more than anybody, the Pharisees. He called them whitewashed tombs because they know all the answers. They do things properly. They tithe on the smallest things. They like to beat their chests in the square and pray and receive praise from men. Yet, on the inside, their heart is absent. And so, what is, what is the solution to this then? What is, what is the answer? What happens if, like me, I, I'm more towards the thinking and the doing And the feelings are number three on my list. They always have been. That's the way I am hardwired. That's the way my personality is set up. So will I always be destined to be pharisaical in my approach to life? Yeah, if I don't rely on the Spirit of God to shape and change me into who I need to be. And that is the key to this story. The third point, which category is correct? What does Jesus tell us? And that's where we get into the parable of the Good Samaritan. It says here, verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer. Now, whenever Jesus says things like certain, this goes from um, maybe it could just be a story to this is an actual person. When a certain lawyer. This is a real person who existed. And a lawyer back in those times, we're not like the lawyers that we have today. A lawyer was an expert in the law of Moses. He was an expert in the Bible, in the Old Testament. 
He knew how to answer all these questions, and he knew everything there was to know about Scripture. He probably had the entire Old Testament memorized. Think about that for a second. Memorized. So here's Jesus sitting before a crowd, and a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, do you think this lawyer knew the answer to that already? I would think he probably had a good idea of it. But this whole thing is a charade to get Jesus to put his foot in a giant trap. That's what they were trying to do. So Jesus said to him, here's the answer. I'm just kidding. Jesus never really said that. He says, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so the lawyer answered him and said this. Listen to these things. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart right? Right right feeling. With all your soul, with all your strength, right doing. And with all your mind, right thinking. And your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now imagine, just pause for a second. Imagine you ask Jesus, who is the representation of God on this planet, a question He asks you a question, you answer it, and he says, that's correct. First of all, that would kind of blow my mind that I was right about something, and that would be a pretty incredible thing to be a witness of. But here's what the lawyer does. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, you might think this is a strange question, And you might think that this is a bad thing to ask, and it kind of is in hindsight. Whenever we're here uh, in the United States in the year 2022, we all understand that Jesus calls us to be a neighbor to everybody. But during this time, the lawyer had certain rules and certain things that he followed, and you had the Old Testament, and then you had priests who would interpret the Old Testament for you. And it became uh, the common knowledge of the day that this is the grounding of your faith, the Old Testament. But the priest's understanding of it is actually more important because they give you greater insight into it. And whenever you have that, whenever you're reading an interpretation of the Scripture, what the priest would say is, If somebody is unclean, they are no longer your neighbor, and you no longer have to help them. In fact, if somebody is unclean, you need to avoid them because you need to be pure. You need to be holy. And actually, some of God's word seems to point to that direction, but Jesus corrects the misunderstanding that they had during those times because he begins to tell a story And he begins to talk about things that I think the lawyer would be very uncomfortable with as he heard them. And I have kind of a a thought on this story. I think that the lawyer knew the people in the story that Jesus is about to tell. Maybe, and this is just my thought here, you could correct me, maybe the lawyer is one of the ones in the story. Just a thought. Because listen to what Jesus says. Listen to this story. 
So who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said to him, a certain man. Remember, he just referred to the lawyer in this story as a certain man. This isn't some made-up story that Jesus tells. This actually happened. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. This is a very dangerous place. People would wait for other people to come through, and they would attack them and steal everything that they had. He fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He's unclean, remember? That's the correct thing to do under their interpretation of the law. You just stay away. He is unclean. Likewise, a Levite, this is somebody who would carry out the rituals at the temple. (coughs) Excuse me. He passed by on the other side as well. He came and looked, and he passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. Now, Samaritan, what they were, was they were a, whenever the temple was destroyed, all the Jewish people kind of came out. The Samaritans kind of intermarried with some other people, and so they were no longer Israel, technically. But they moved back in, and they practiced the law, the first five books of the Bible, and they were around there. The Jewish people could not stand the Samaritans because they took the Word of God, and they kind of twisted it in weird ways. So it would be strange for Jesus to say, listen, a Pharisee, somebody who knows the law, and a, a Levite, somebody who carries out the rules of the temple, passed right by this person. However, a Samaritan, somebody that you despise, has done something different. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, what category, if you're thinking about it, right, right thinking, right feeling, right doing, what, what category would that fit into? The feeling, the emotions. His heart was softened towards this man, whereas the Pharisee and the Levite was not. He had compassion. He had the right feeling. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Now, I want to tell you something about this method. Not everybody knows how to apply these sorts of things. He bandaged his wounds. Uh, We have to go through first aid training uh, to be certified in that nowadays. Uh, He poured on oil and wine. That is like a type of medication. In fact, uh, I read an article last year where they found some old uh, wine jars from ancient Greece and ancient Rome. And what they would do is actually whenever they would make wine, it was so disgusting, they had to dilute it almost 40 times. If you had one gallon of wine, it would take 40 gallons of water before it would be drinkable. And what they would do is they would mix herbs together, they would mix different spices, and they would put it together and they would make medicine out of it. It was, it was for medicinal purposes. So what do you think that would take to be able to bandage his wounds, pour on the correct oil, pour on the correct wine? What category would that fit into? The, the thinking, right? 
So we see a heart. We see compassion. We see that he knows what to do. We see that he's studied this sort of thing. So all we're missing is the work side of things, where he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. How many of you have ever taken care of somebody who could not take care of themselves? That is a job, and it's a worthy job. It's something that we should be doing, but it does take a lot of work. So you can see here already, Jesus is taking, taking this response that this lawyer said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. That's how you should love the Lord, with every part of you. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who is my, lo- who is my neighbor? Well, well, here's the story. What would you do? He took him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, two days' worth of wages. The last two days that you worked, total that number out, take it out of your bank account, and you're giving it to this complete stranger to take care of his needs, which in our modern medical system would not cover two minutes of their time, right? It would be extremely expensive. But he gave him two days' wages and told the innkeeper, take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come again... I will repay you. So which of these three men, the Pharisee who walked by, the Levite who walked by, or the Samaritan who walked by, stopped because he had a change of heart, knew what to do, and then acted on it? Which one of these three, Jesus asks him, was the neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Now, I would just, at this point, I wonder what the lawyer was thinking. I wonder what was on his face. I wonder if he, if he begrudgingly said this, or if he responded because Jesus had made such a point that he just couldn't refuse the truth of the story. You think his head was hung in shame? Because maybe... He was the Pharisee or the Levite who walked right by a man on his way to Jesus. Maybe the story was about the lawyer. Maybe it happened to him. And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. See, Whenever we come to Jesus, this is our fourth and final point. Jesus changes our heart to fill all three categories. Right thinking, right feeling, and right doing. But he does it in a way that whenever we accept Jesus, he changes who we are. Now, before I was saved, I I was an atheist. I studied science. I can tell you all about quantum physics. I can tell you all about uh, astronomy and different things like that. I love studying uh, the, the creation of the universe and those sorts of things. I can tell you all sorts of things because I'm a thinker, and that's the way God hardwired me. Now, after salvation, that was still my primary way of, of doing things. It's still, to this day, I am a thinker. 
Next, I'm a doer. I like to work. I like to keep my hands busy. But my emotional side was lacking. Here's what happened whenever I was saved. I used to be able to watch uh, my kids. I used to be able to watch my wife. I used to be able to watch uh, movies that were sad. And I could be completely stone-faced, have no emotion. But after I was saved, I found myself bawling at times where I didn't really understand it. Because God would soften my heart and move me to a different place. Maybe right thinking is last on your list and you just can't connect with that. But listen, your life has to be rooted in the Word of God. You have to know and understand the truth of the Word of God. Because if you don't, then you're just doing things on your own and of your own understanding. And let me tell you, if you think you understand and know how to do life better than Jesus, then I think you're wrong. We can still be friends after this, like Pastor Jim said, but I think you're wrong. And again, if you're always thinking about things and have this strong emotion to change things, but you never do anything about it, that is the classic example of the hypocrite. But what Jesus does is he comes into our lives, shapes and changes into somebody brand new where he will give you a desire and a hunger for the word of God. He will give you a desire to do the works of God. He will give you a desire, if you're seeing somebody on the street who is wounded and, and about to die, he will give you a heart to go over and help them. That's what Jesus does. So what we're going to do is we're going to take this time, I'm just going to pray and we'll be dismissed. But I want you to take this time to really think about where you fit into these three categories. If you're saved, if, if you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, what changed before Jesus to after Jesus? This will give you a better understanding of yourself. Also, think about the people around you. Maybe you've been in disagreement with somebody. Is it because you're a thinker primarily and they're a feeler primarily? Or any combination of those? Maybe that's why you can't get along. Maybe that's why you don't work well together. But Jesus is the great unifier. He is the great, uh, he doesn't divide, he unites us. And so we can all work together and we need all three categories. We really do. So if you would, please stand. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer and then we will be dismissed. Father, we are just so thankful Lord, we are so blessed to just be able to come before you and experience praise and worship, to experience the truth of your word. Father, I pray that we could take the knowledge that you, you blessed this rich young lawyer with, Lord, allow it to shape and change who we are. Lord, I know that some of us are lacking in one area. But Lord, you're not lack concerning any of these things. Lord, you are a perfect example of a balanced personality. You had all three of these categories. You, you went well beyond thinking. You knew all things. Lord, you go beyond emotions. You are love. 
And Lord, nobody has done greater works than what you have done. All so that your name could be glorified and magnified. And so, Father, I pray that as each and every one of us uh, examines ourselves, Lord, that your spirit would move among us and just call us to do greater things, not of our own strength, but through the root of the gospel, which is a changed life and a changed heart by surrendering to you. Father, if there's anybody here in this room who has not surrendered to you as Lord and Savior, I pray that right now they would do that. That They would seek forgiveness for the very specific sins in their life, that they would turn away from those and they would acknowledge you as Lord, that you were raised by God from the dead, and that that same power that raised you from the dead can be alive inside of us today. That's what gives us the, the thinking, the doing, and the feeling that we need to be able to do your work. It's in the precious and holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. You're stuck with me. Uh, I am the associate pastor here, Pastor Kevin, and so uh, I appreciate you all being here this morning and kind of suffering through the next part of the service. I'm just kidding. It, it should be pretty good because I've been praying about this and and sometimes it's not very clear what God has for me to preach, but this, this time today and next week, he has very clearly given me uh, something that I think can be very applicable. Uh, one of the things that we're t- going to talk about today and next week, I'm tying the two things together, although you may not see it that way. Uh, I'm going to be talking about some healthy Christian boundaries and healthy understanding of how to utilize those boundaries and a healthy way to understand how to look at other people so that maybe if you have some unclear boundaries, you can set those up, or maybe that you can understand where the other person is coming from. Now, this is straight from Scripture, and it is something that you all have heard me talk about quite a bit, but it is so important that I really think it needs to just be ingrained, because I think a big problem in the church today is that we just misunderstand each other. Uh, I do know that one of the problems is a lack of communication sometimes. That's that happens, but also misunderstanding where the other person is coming from can lead to disastrous effects. So the, the title of the sermon today is Understanding the Root of the Gospel. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37, looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. How many of you have heard of the parable of the Good Samaritan? Most of you? Okay, that's good. Uh, We're going to go ahead and read it, so if you would, please stand out of respect for the Word of God. Uh, We're going to read this entire parable, and then we're going to get straight into the sermon. Uh, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Now, something you have to understand is a lawyer is not like what we think of whenever we think lawyer. A lawyer back in that time was somebody who studied the Word of God and who was able to properly discern what it meant. He was somebody who probably had the entire Old Testament memorized word for word. And so this guy knows what he's talking about. Jesus says to this lawyer, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So Jesus answered and said, you shall love the Lord, no, the lawyer answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. 
But he, the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Everybody say compassion. Now say it with some gusto. Compassion. There you go. That's better. So when he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, that's a day's wage, so he took out two days' wages, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come, I will repay you. So, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer said to him, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. May God bless the reading of his word, you may have a seat. I wanted to get that all out up front so that you are familiar with the story, and maybe you can see where I'm going with this first part, because it's going to take me a minute to get back into the scriptures. Uh, But what I wanted to tell you and teach you is that every world religion, every person has a unique way of presenting themselves and a thing that they focus on. You can break down any world religion and any individual person into three categories. Somebody who focuses on the right thinking, uh, that's your faith rests in what you know and understand, and you can think of atheism being in this category. Yes, atheism is a religion. Uh, One of the things that they think about a lot is if you can't answer certain questions, then their religion becomes false. So certain religions can be caught up in the right thinking. The second thing that we're going to be talking about is the right feeling, an emotional state of where you're at. Somebody who reacts a lot, your emotions govern how you react. If you don't have some big emotional experience, maybe you came to church this morning and you weren't moved by the worship music and you think, you know what, God wasn't even here this morning. You might think that, but you're governed by your emotions and not everything is centered around emotion. You may tend to think that if people don't put on a big show during worship, that they don't have real faith. That's just not true. And the last one is right doing, your works, the things that you do because you are a Christian. Or even if you're not a Christian, that may be how you're hardwired. Maybe you're just go, 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 I'm just going to do things and do them and do them and do them. That may be what you do. Your religion is all about what you're doing to prove your faith. So we can all fit into these three categories. And what I want you to do is, on the next fill-in-the-blank, I left one, two, and three, I want you to examine yourself and place yourself in those categories from top to bottom. Yes, I'm a thinker, hands down. That's what I am. Uh, I am in my element whenever I have uh, my Bible, my interlinear Greek and Hebrew Bible, my Strong's Concordance, and my computer, and a secondary version of the Bible, just to kind of cross-reference, I'm in my element whenever I have all that, and I'm about 
five hours into a study and I'm, I'm getting a breakthrough. That's where I'm at. I love that because primarily, number one, I am a thinker. And number two, I'm a doer. I like to do things. Uh, I can't sit still at home. You can ask my wife. I have literally 10 projects going on right now in my house trying to renovate it. And I just can't hardly sit still. What I am lacking on and what I've always been lacking on is the emotional side. Um, I've been called a robot before. I'm not pointing any fingers or anything, but people have called me a robot before, you know. And so uh, that, that happens. So where are you at? Maybe, maybe your number one is the emotional side. Maybe you react like that and thinking is last. Or maybe your primary thing, like if you ever met somebody who just works, 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 they're, they're a, a, a right doer, right? They, they do things all the time. So which of these is correct? Which of these is where we should focus? Which of these is what we should be doing? I'm going to tell you that if you're unbalanced in these, which everybody is, that is incorrect. Because the root of all of this is Jesus should change your emotions and your thinking and the way you do things whenever you accept him, and he will fill in the inadequacies in your personality. So let me, let me give you an example. Imagine if you're a thinker and a feeler, but you don't do anything. What would you call a person like that? They think the right way. They're always telling you what to do. They may be right, but they don't practice that themselves. What is that called? Hypocrite. A hypocrite. Faith without works is a dead faith. You can think all that you want and feel all that you want, but if you ever never act on that, you are a hypocrite. What about feeling and doing, but you don't have the thinking part? United States government, that's correct. Yes, you're, you're right. No. You, you, you are irresponsible and potentially dangerous. And here's why. If you're always basing everything off your own feelings, and you're always doing things off just your own feelings, then you are not measuring up with the Word of God to tell you what is truth and not truth. I've, I've seen people uh, like this where they just have a, a feeling about something and there is no changing their mind. Even if you present Scripture to them, they just can't believe that. I can't believe God would allow this or do this. It's because they're tied up in emotions. And so you have to, you have to understand things sometimes by thinking about them, really studying the Word of God. So if you have the feeling and the doing without the thinking, that's a bad combination as well. The third combination, if you're a thinker and a doer without the feeling, that's, that's where I'm at. That's where Jesus attacked the most, <laughs> because he attacked the Pharisees. He called them whitewashed tombs, pretty on the outside, but nothing but dead, dry bones on the inside. Now, if I am not careful, I can be a Pharisee, where I'm always thinking about things and doing them, but it's because it's what Kevin wanted to do, instead of where the Spirit of God is leading me to do. Now, I don't know where you fit into all these categories. As I look around, I can kind of see Kayla and I are kind of polar opposites, which I think is why we get along so well, because we kind of fill in each other's inadequacies. But if you're a, a thinker primarily and you're married to a feeler, you know, that, 
that can be a bad combination because as you view each other's worlds, you're viewing them in completely different terms, and you don't understand. And so, this will create in us some healthy uh, boundaries and concepts to be able to see what the other person is thinking. And I would also like to say, don't ever use this as an excuse. Um, just because emotions are, are third on your list, that doesn't give you the right to be a robot. You should have your emotions quickened by Jesus, and you should have the Spirit of God in you to be able to do that. And so don't use those things as an excuse. If you're a, a thinker and an emotional person, or you're, you're a doer and an emotional person, but don't have the thinking down, that's not an excuse not to ever crack open the Word of God. Well, I just can't get anything out of it. You've got to open it and read it and, and get an audio book. Get it, get it on the computer. Do whatever you need to do. You have to have the Word of God in you. It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It is able to pierce you at your deepest level and rework your mind. And so you have to have the Word of God. All three of these come into play. So which category is correct? What does Jesus tell us? What do we need to be focusing on? Well, it just so happens that this parable of the Good Samaritan teaches us exactly how to balance these three. And it shows us what the root of all three is. It is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, something you need to understand about parables, sometimes they're just stories that are made up, not that they're lies, but they're made up to tell a specific point. They're stories that may be fictional characters, but they teach a moral lesson. This story, however, uses a word, certain, uses it three times, certain lawyer, certain priest, and certain Levi. What that tells me is that these were specific people. This isn't a story Jesus made up. This story actually happened to real people. So keep that in mind as we're talking here. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, he was a religious scholar. He knew exactly what the answer to this was. So why in the world was he even asking this question? It was to test Jesus, to get Jesus to step, step into a big trap so that everybody could say he isn't who he says he is. What should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? You're the expert. You tell me. So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, right feeling, your emotions, with all your soul, with all your strength, that's your works, the things that you do. And with all of your mind, that's the thinking, right feeling, right thinking, right doing. And your neighbor as yourself. Now, he just asked Jesus this question. The God who created the universe, you asked him a question, and this is his reply. You have answered correctly. I don't know about you all, but that would blow my mind if I asked Jesus a question he said, and, and I answered it, and he said, yep, you're right. Wow, that's pretty impressive. He said, do this, and you will live. The lawyer should have stopped there, but he didn't, did he? Because that's what we usually do. But he, the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who, who's my neighbor then, right? Because... You might think this is pretty cynical, and it is in a weird way, but the lawyers 
And the Pharisees and the scribes, they studied the Old Testament. That was their law. They, they did everything by the book. But they had some priests who would interpret what that book said. And what they began to do, that was called the Torah, what they began to do was they began to study this, this book as opposed to Scripture because the interpretation was what really mattered. And what the interpretation said was, if somebody is unclean, they are no longer your neighbor because they are unclean. You should have nothing to do with them. You should stay very far away from them. You should pass by them if you're walking past them. That is the interpretation. And so, this was a deeper issue at hand because he was asking Jesus, well, who do you agree with then? Are you going back to the scriptures or are you going back to our priests? Jesus says this, let let me tell you a story and you tell me who was a neighbor to this person. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road. Makes me wonder, who was this certain priest? Who was it? Maybe it was somebody that the lawyer traveled with. Think about this. What if, what if this story actually played out as the lawyer was coming to Jesus, and, and there Jesus is giving him a story of what he had just experienced? Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, the guy who was laying there half dead, beaten, stripped of his clothing, and, and about to die, the priest, that's not my neighbor, I don't help him, he walked by on the other side of the road. Because that's what you're supposed to do, because that's what the priests say to do. Likewise, a Levite, somebody who carries out the duties of the temple, he should know what to do. The man is unclean, so you walk right past him. That is the correct thing to do according to their interpretation. When he arrived at the place, he came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan... Now, the Samaritans are a bad deal to the Jewish people. They're offspring way back from where the Babylonians conquered the temple, and they're off. They're, they weren't the same bloodline. They didn't have the same thoughts as the Jewish people, so they didn't like them very much. They tried to worship on the temple, and they didn't like that. They didn't care for that, and they were different, and so they didn't care for them. So whenever you hear this, a certain Samaritan, then I think the lawyer probably would have stirred a little bit because this, this isn't a story that he wanted to hear. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had, try that again, and he had Now, if you're thinking along the lines of right thinking, right feeling, right doing, where does that land? Feeling. God stirred up in the Samaritan's heart a desire for compassion. He walked by, and who wouldn't have compassion on somebody who had just been beaten and is laying there in a very dangerous place? But to help that person could mean that you get the same treatment. He had compassion. What happens if he had compassion 
feel bad, but I'm just going to keep right on walking. See, you can't do that. Jesus is teaching the story. You should be balanced as a person. If you have a heart for people, but you never do anything about it, that is wrong. And here in this story, we see how wrong it can be. So, the Samaritan went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Uh, I told the first service this. There's something that you have to understand about this. Um, To be able to bandage wounds, we have to go through like a first aid course here um, to be able to be first aid certified. Uh, You bandage wounds in a particular way. If you do them incorrectly, then it could be disastrous. You could cause more harm than good. Likewise, whenever it says pouring on oil and wine, something I read last year was that they found a bunch of uh, clay jars from ancient Greece and ancient Rome. And they've also found recipes. What they do is they, they make wine and they pour them into these barrels. Now, the wine is so disgusting and so thick that most recipes call for 40 gallons of water to dilute it, dilute it down to make one gallon of wine. And they usually crush up herbs and spices and different medicines that they get, and they infuse it into that. So what I get, gather here is that this man knew exactly how to take care of somebody. That tells me that he has some thinking experience. Maybe he was a doctor in his own place. Maybe he knew what to do. So we see the right feeling, the right thinking. Now we're just missing the doing because he can know how to do all that and just, well, like, that guy needs, you know, um, an ace bandage and, like, he's got a broken bone there. You know, maybe I need to set his femur back into place or something. Or maybe, you know, he's got a head trauma. Maybe I should support his neck a little bit. Or, you know, he, he could think about all that and then just be like, oh, it's somebody else's problem. But he doesn't do that, does he? As we continue on, we see that his works take effect as well. Because if he just saw that and knew how to deal with it, but didn't do anything about it, he would be a hypocrite. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you had to care for somebody else because they couldn't care for themselves. It is a job, it is a task. And I guarantee it would have made it a hundred times more difficult if you're in the middle of a thief-infested road where they're set out to cause you harm and to steal everything you had. Caring for somebody takes a lot of work. Caring for somebody takes effort. And it takes sacrifice. And this is what this man did. He put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, two days' wages. Now, we all know that that wouldn't cover two minutes in a hospital today, but that would have covered him for everything that he needed back then. He gave them to the innkeeper and said to them, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come, I will repay you. So Jesus asks the lawyer, so which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among thieves? I like to think, I like to picture myself in this story as like an observer. This lawyer asked Jesus a question. Jesus answered with this story that is irrefutable. Of course that's what you should do. Of course that is what you should do. But the lawyer, what he had to do was take everything that he understood about rules and rituals 
and what he needed to do, and he, he needed to lay that aside to understand the truth. That if you have compassion and you have the right mindset, but you never do anything about it, that's not okay. Do you think the lawyer was mad that Jesus stumped him? Do you think the lawyer was shameful because maybe he was one of the people in the story? Maybe he was a Levite. Maybe he was that Levite who walked right past the man. And as soon as Jesus started telling the story, maybe he hung his head in shame because he knew exactly where the story was going. But he answered and said, of course, it's, it's, it's he who showed mercy on the man. Jesus says to him, go and do likewise. You see, what you need to understand is Jesus changes our hearts to fill all three categories. Whenever we come to faith, if your inadequacy is in your feeling side, Jesus is going to quicken your emotions. I promise you that. I, I can remember that whenever I was an atheist, I hardly ever cried about anything. I hardly ever did anything like that. But whenever I came to faith, I all, all of a sudden found myself crying at things my children would my wife would do. And, and I was just kind of an emotional wreck for a while. Likewise, if, if you don't have the proper thinking, you never study Scripture, God will give you a desire for that. You have to pray for it, and you have to seek it, and God will help you through that. His Spirit will make you complete. And maybe, just maybe, you've had misunderstandings with people in this very church because you're a thinker and they're a feeler, or you're a doer and they're a thinker, or, or vice versa, and everything that they filter life through is based on that lens. That wrong? It's wrong to keep the division, but it's not wrong to think differently about things. That's how God designed us. If we had all thinkers in this church, it'd be a bad deal. 300 of Kevin walking around would not be good. I promise you that. Ask my wife. You need a combination of all three. If it was just emotional people, people who feel things very compassionately, that wouldn't be good. If we just had a bunch of doers of the word but, but never studied or never felt anything, that would be bad as well. So Jesus changes our heart to fill all three categories. I want you to think and pray about this during our time of invitation. Where is it that you focus on? Where is it that God has made you to fit in? And where is it that God has been trying to work on your heart to make you whole as a person. Maybe you've had some misunderstandings between people. Maybe you need to rectify those. Maybe you understand now a little more clearly and you need to set up some boundaries with people because, because you're a thinker and they're a feeler and, and you have to understand that back and forth. But please just take this time to, to, to self-evaluate. But if you would, please stand. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, we're going to have one more song of invitation.